This is CNBC's The Brave Ones podcast with Dominic Chu. I have been holding back the secret to success for many years. I finally found out what it was. Oh, really? I didn't want to share it with oh, anybody, but I'm going to share it with you a, today. It's a good day to I'm do that. I'm going to share it with you today. Okay. Work. <laughs> bust your butt. Get up before everybody, go to sleep after everybody, and bust your butt. That's it. Sorry. That's it. it really that was Damon John. These days, he's best known for his role on the hit reality show Shark Tank. But Damon's extraordinary ascent to being one of the most well-respected investors in prime time and on Wall Street started with his clothing brand FUBU, an idea that started out of his mom's house in Hollis, Queens. I was just always wanting to create things and just sell them. A story of true grit featured on a recent episode of The Brave Ones, CNBC's international series that celebrates successful risk takers. Today, you'll hear more from Damon, as well as his powerhouse mom. He was a hip-hop kid, wore the clothes that the hip-hop generation wore. And a few of his remarkable friends, including actress-turned-businesswoman Catherine Zeta-Jones. When he inspires other people, it really comes from the heart. And the rapper, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. No matter what, you can make it happen. It's all on you. And that's why Damon is who he is. I'm Dominic Chu, and I'm joined today by Betsy Alexander, executive producer of The Brave Ones, and Kelly Lynn, who produced this episode featuring Damon John. Don't listen to anybody else to tell you you can't make it. And understand that you're going to fail through the process, but that's only going to make you stronger. Extraordinary story, right? I mean, yeah. of the American dream, of entrepreneurship, about making it big, coming from nothing. So Damon wears a lot of hats. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a motivator motivational speaker, he's a branding expert, and he's called the people's shark on Shark Tank. Kelly knows a little bit more about this. He's basically known as the nice guy on set. Uh, you know, you have people like uh, Mark Cuban and Kevin O'Leary, so Damon is really just the nice guy. This is a role that's really perfect for him since he's been in the shoes that a lot of the entrepreneurs that are appearing on the show are in at that moment. I love working with budding entrepreneurs because it reminds me of me when I was younger. It gives me that energy. I'm giving them the fundamentals, but they're giving me the updated knowledge on how to do business. And I love working with them. They make me smarter every single day. Because he's considered such a expert now, he's worked with a huge roster of famous people who are trying to do different businesses of their own. And uh, one of his friends is songwriter, rapper, entertainer, Pitbull, who we sat down with in LA. And he really zeroed in on why Damon's story is so inspiring. Anybody can have an idea is how do you focus, apply it, and then go against all odds and then still take it to the next level. I mean, that's what FUBU was all about. It was literally David versus Goliath. Let's talk a little bit about the origins, geographically speaking, about where Damon came from. I mean, it's Queens, specifically Hollis, Queens. And it's kind of different than it was back when Damon was growing up there, right? So after having a pretty, sounds like, good childhood, playing stickball outside, riding his bicycle. When he turned 16 in the mid-80s, crack hits the community, and it's pretty devastating. Most of my friends would go over to this part of our community and want to aspire to be these drug dealers, and many of my friends were dead or in jail at the age of 16 and 17. I was losing a friend every three months. It got so bad in 1988 that a cop named Edward Byrne was murdered protecting a witness for a drug case in Damon's neighborhood. And it was such a big deal at the time that it even made the news. Gunman killed him with three shotgun blasts early Friday. So Kelly, when you interviewed him, an experience like that has to kind of come through. And so when you're talking to a, a man or a woman who's gone through something traumatic like that, it really kind of 
echoes beyond just their normal being. So did you get that sense that he was really kind of either shaken by it or, or, or almost like he was really inspired or affected by it and that shaped him going forward? You know, it kind of put them in a place where they didn't really see a future for themselves growing up. Like this was the only path forward, these drug dealers, violence, drugs. And so that was really ingrained in his mind and it actually got even worse because it really started influencing his friends and even his mom talked about, you know, wanting to make sure that he wasn't starting drugs. I had to figure out another way to keep him busy all the time so that he wouldn't get involved in these drugs. So basically this particular backdrop, some new role models started to emerge uh, and they were basically the hip hop artists, music, sort of changed Damon's life. It actually turns out that Hollis, Queens is like the epicenter of where hip hop really blew up and took over. This is where Damon grew up. It's actually home to some of the greatest hip hop artists of all time. Like Run DMC. Um, yeah, exactly. Come on, because it's Christmas in Hollis, Queens, right? I mean. Yeah, and so these uh, artists were able to give Damon a really new and fresh perspective on what to do with his life. They were just as wealthy or even more wealthy than these crack dealers, but they were selling music. It was Run DMC, LL Cool J, Salt and Tepper, Tribe Called Quest, Ja Rule. All of them are from Hollis, Queens. And I realized at that time, wait a minute, I can make money doing something I love. He lived on a main street in Queens and he would literally dance outside of his house with his friends, hoping to be discovered by these hip hop artists who were like, driving around the neighborhood. That didn't happen, apparently. <laughs> that didn't happen, but hip hop was, was about the music and it was about the promotion of the music and it was a, a hugely about fashion as well. Yeah, so that means it was like it was almost like a generation or two ago's lifestyle brand, right? It was like this this whole way of living, this whole way of kind of caring about yourself, about looking, about sounding, about everything. It was all part of a persona that was created out of this kind of neighborhood within Queens, New York. Hip-hop was this voice of the streets, and it was our version of today's Instagram or Twitter. And uh, the kids were communicating through this music about their love, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, and I just wanted to be part of it. So slight sidebar, we film Brave Ones all over the world in various locations all within cities all over the world. We happen to be filming with Damon smack dab in the middle of New York City at a special production loft that um, Kelly had found. And I'd seen pictures that she'd show me. What, what, how would you describe the space? You know, really cool textures in the studio that I, were, I was really drawn to, like exposed brick, paint was peeling off the walls, and it just had this really cool... Like a cool vibe. Cool vibe. Yeah, totally. But the thing that really drew me to the studio was they had this really in-your-face, fabulous chair that I saw, and I was like, Damon, that, that chair was made for Damon. So on the day of the filming, I showed up a few moments before Damon did, and I saw the chair, and it, the chair was a very extreme chair, and I thought to myself, 
Yeah, we can't use that chair. That it was so um, distracting that we'd never be able to use it. And I thought that when I would get into the edit room, I would be like shooting myself every second for allowing us to use the chair. So the first thing I did was ask for Kelly to remove the chair. So I had had obviously the exact opposite reaction. When I had seen the chair, I thought this is perfect for Damon. He's a super stylish guy. He always has the perfect outfit on. And this chair would just complement Damon, Damon's story, and our shoot. And uh, when Damon showed up for our interview, he he was on Team Kelly. And as one of our team was moving the chair away and replacing it with a very plain chair, he said, no, no, I love that chair. Kelly gives me a look of victory. <laughs> so, of course, he sits in the chair. We lie for the chair. looks beautiful for the chair. And for the next four or five days, I can't sleep because I'm worried that we had our one chance to sit down with him. He gave us two hours, three hours of his time. He's sitting in the chair. There's nothing I can do. And the chair is going to just ruin the whole show. What do you think the only thing people mention besides how fabulous Damon is every time they look at the show? It's the chair. And how fabulous the chair is. So Sounds like it was meant to be. So props to Kelly. I was totally wrong. We're all on Team Kelly now, apparently. <laughs> During the time that rap started to really emerge, I would wear Reebok shoes, Fila, the Lees and Levi's. If you had any money, you can go to the dry cleaner and get the tailor to put a permanent crease all the way down. So Damon's love of fashion dates back to when he was quite young, and it all started with a hat. Right, Kelly? So there's this hat that he had seen the group De La Soul wearing. Uh, it kind of looked like a stocking cap, and he decided that he had to have it. He basically goes all over Manhattan and the outer boroughs, and he finally tracks down this hat. He spends 20 bucks on it, and that's basically when mom intervenes. She said, go to the store, get $40 worth of fabric, you come back. I'm going to show you how to sew hats just like that. So I would go out and stand on the corner of the Coliseum Mall on 165th Street in Jamaica, Queens on Good Friday, 1989 at 3 o'clock, and it was 42 degrees outside, and I would sell $800 worth of hats in one hour. That would turn my life from black and white into Technicolor. $800 worth of hats. Yeah, and he was a kid. You know, he got his friends in on it. He saw that there was an opportunity here. And so that's really how FUBU and the concept for FUBU started materializing. He and his friends all believed that clothing companies, even though they were happy to sell in their community, they weren't really designing and manufacturing clothes with them in mind for the for urban youth specifically and he saw how maybe he could seize on that moment so this was all about the inspiration that goes along with figuring out what people want specifically a certain group of people that then maybe then can be extrapolated to a broader audience right and, and that's kind of like the, how it started yeah i mean it started a, a, a little bit um so there was a i don't know there was an article or an editorial in the new york times but a lot of damon's friends and damon wearing they were like construction boots yeah so they saw an article in the new york times it was a story about timberland basically how their sales were doing really well and Damon and his friends and other teenagers, kids in the community were wearing Timberland boots. Meanwhile, in this article, the company was giving them no credit, um, not acknowledging that this whole market of consumers were buying these shoes. And it was really insulting for Damon and his friends. So there was almost like an axe to grind, a chip on their shoulder, right? I mean, so these, um. these Timberland boots or these, these clothing accessories are not 
actually being perceived as being made for them, yet they are being used by all of these folks out there trying to kind of adopt or or latch onto this lifestyle that's been created for like urban youth. I mean, we're making you successful, but if you're not actually interested in us making you successful, then we'll make our own selves successful. Why are we even doing it? So they create FUBU, and FUBU stands for For Us, By Us. And by the way, they start building FUBU while all holding full-time jobs. Damon is a server at Red Lobster, so he's serving cheese biscuits by day and then coming home and sewing labels on clothes till like 3 or 4 in the morning and then getting up at the crack of dawn to deliver product. And they went on like this for a number of years. So that's crazy. I mean, the idea that you're holding down a full-time job Mm -hmm. as a server somewhere, Mm -hmm. you're working a late shift, You get done with the dinner rush, and then you go home exhausted after being a waiter or waitress somewhere, and then you work more. Absolutely. Because you're just sitting there trying to get this business off the ground. And I I, kind of feel like every entrepreneur, no matter what size or what scale or how successful they are, has kind of been there, right? This idea that you got to put in the hours after you do your job and make it work. And, and then they uh, got wind of a, a, a large trade show in Las Vegas called The Magic Show. So um, one of Damon's partners had gone to FIT and knew about this trade show. The acronym is MAGIC, but it's Men's Apparel Guild. And they attended this trade show, which they actually didn't have the money to set up an official booth. So they kind of pooled their resources and had a hotel room across the street and they would bring people over there. But it was at this trade show where they ended up being able to get $300,000 worth of orders. And the four of them were over the moon, but there was a big problem. And that was the fact that Damon didn't have the money to make $300,000 worth of clothes. Like they have this big break, but they can't strike while the iron is hot. So what exactly is the, what is the remedy? I mean, how do they fix that? He really thinks on his feet, and they come up with a plan that involves mom again. I'd come on to my mother defeated and say, I got turned down my 27 banks. And my mother would go, why don't we take all the money we can out of this house? You get the clothes made. Then you'll get the $300,000. You'll put the money back into the house, and we'll be okay. And my mother goes out and gets a $100,000 loan. So let's talk more about mom, because... Margot John is like a powerhouse. Powerhouse. She was the VC slash angel investor, if you will, that really kind of got this whole thing going. Well, she's a problem solver on steroids. And like every great quality a mother can have, she has. Yeah, I mean, she was always there for him and was clearly a huge influence and really supported this idea that he had to build this business and was just in it with him. And she now calls herself Mama Shark. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Does she call him baby shark? (laughs) (laughs) She actually let uh, him and his friends like take over her house. Like the house was the factory. Yeah, they moved all the furniture out. They were literally dumping, burning stuff and oil drums just to get rid of it so that they could move in industrial sized sewing machines and their bolts of fabric everywhere. Him and his partners lived in this house. It was kind of like Airbnb before there was Airbnb. Um, so they were really camped out at mom's house. I mean, it sounds so much like the stories you hear back in the day of. Hewlett and Packard 
in a garage or like Bill Gates working out of like the house or Apple, like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak kind of doing their thing. And I mean, it was all it's, it's humble beginnings for all of these folks. And you kind of get the same feeling that there's a there's a recurring theme that you make do with what you got. Right. And see if you can grow it into something bigger. But also, if you've got somebody, especially a parent, who's willing to lay it all on the line for you and have that much faith in you, I can't imagine the impact that that has to have pushing you towards success because there's somebody back there telling you, you not only telling you you can do it, she basically mortgaged your home more than once. She was really his advisor who, in the moments where the FUBU could have made it or not, she was really so pivotal in every decision. We were on 42nd Street, and um, I told him, you see those billboards and those big signs? I said, your name is going to be up there one day. They were working really hard. They were cranking out all these orders, trying to fulfill that $300,000 that they had promised to vendors at that trade show. But Damon, he admits like he was a young entrepreneur. There's a lot of money going out, and he started running out of money again. So the working capital issue has become recurring at this point. Exactly. This yes. idea that you just don't have enough cash on hand to be able to buy the stuff, to make the stuff, to buy the stuff, to pay off vendors and that sort of thing. But mom has a, another idea, and she takes out an ad in the paper, and the ad says, million dollars in orders need financing. And all kinds of people started to call. Yeah, people started coming out of the woodwork and um, just lots of... Interesting characters, shall we say. But eventually, they do get a call from somebody serious, and that is Samsung. That's Come on, the same Samsung that we think of right now? The smartphone Samsung? Yeah, the, the TVs, all, the same exact company. Apparently, in the 90s, they were also the textile business, and so they came knocking. The first terms would be that I would have to sell $5 million worth of clothes in three years to keep the deal because they were going to set up supply chains and logistics and all that. But I would end up uh, selling um, $30 million worth of clothes in three months. FUBU just blows up with Samsung backing them. And they're selling their gear all over the world. And it has a lot to do with the fact that Damon and these guys were really marketing geniuses. They knew how to get a lot of attention by spending no money. So, so in essence, they were influencers before they were influencers on Instagram or Twitter or anywhere else. And it didn't hurt that they also had some very influential good friends. Because of the hip-hop scene in Hollis, Queens, and people that they knew around the neighborhood, they were able to talk their way onto different video music sets. They became very friendly with different directors and artists, and they were able to convince a lot of these artists to wear their clothes in their music videos. The funny thing, though, was that they only had a limited number of shirts, so that meant that the artists that they wanted to wear their clothes after the shoot, they would need the clothes back, and they would have to negotiate with the different artists that they were working with. I only had 10 shirts shirts and I would put those on the artists and as soon as they dropped them or put them in their dressing room, I would take them back from them. It was Damon's co-founder, Keith, whose job it was to negotiate with these artists. We didn't even know it was called product placement back then. Like we just knew that we needed to get our clothes seen and we used to literally put the, the, the clothes on our artists and as soon as they finished, it's like, ah, let me get that back. Love Keith. <laughs> So Damon, I mean, every, every one of these successful entrepreneurs gets a big break or a series of these big breaks. 
And the one for FUBU, his clothing label, happened with a kind of interesting set of circumstances, right? It, it was kind of a fortuitous turn of events and maybe a little even kind of, I don't know, serendipitous. I've been rhyming since I was nine years old, you know. We would then sign LL Cool J to be our spokesperson. LL took it so far from just his regular duty, he got called by the Gap to do an ad. So one of the most amazing stories in the, you know, in, in FUBU's history is how they got a million dollars worth of free advertising. LL actually got a call to appear in an ad for The Gap, the clothing company. So LL goes to set, he's dressed in The Gap clothes, but he goes rogue by wearing a FUBU hat. I don't know how The Gap executives and the producers on set didn't notice this, but he went on to shoot the whole commercial wearing this hat, and he even raps about FUBU. Yeah, I believe he says, for us, by us, right in the ad. Exactly. He says, for us, by us, on the low. It shook up the gap. They would spend millions of dollars airing a FUBU ad, not knowing it. Yes, Charlin, jeans popping in every mall in town, the city, G-A-P, gritty, ready to go, for us, by us, on the low. The entire hip-hop community were just dying laughing. I couldn't believe it even happened. To be able to hustle, maneuver, and navigate a Gap commercial to push FUBU, think about that. That's hustling. So in 2009, Damon gets a call from Mark Burnett about a little show he's creating called Shark Tank. He had seen Damon's success with FUBU, but Damon wasn't initially interested in Mark's idea. He heard what Mark had to say, and his takeaway was, wait, I have to spend my own money? And so that's why initially it was a no-go for Damon, but obviously he eventually signed on, and he's had some really successful investments. Kelly got a chance to talk to the Bombas guys. That's one of his most successful. Our company is Bombas, and we're here today seeking $200,000 in exchange for a 5% equity stake. Right, Bombas Socks is a huge one, and then um, Bubba's Boneless Ribs. That I haven't tried. I have tried the Bomba socks. Yes, I've tried the Bomba socks, but not the Bubba's boneless ribs yet. I might have to try it just because now I know the Damon story with it. But you well, know. I love the idea because he's a lot of women do not want to, you know, in a in a public setting, pick up ribs with bones in them and and eat them because they're smush all over their face. Yeah, it's a messy date food. Yeah, messy date food, but boneless ribs. A perfect date food. You, you get, refined you get fork yummy food and knife. And fork and knife, <laughs> and you get to like, you know, look neat as you're eating them. So among the Shark Tank cast, Damon is known as the people's shark. Um, he's the nice guy of the group. Why is that, Kelly? His close friend and fellow shark, Robert Herjavec, says that Damon is really more people-oriented than bottom-line oriented. So interesting, because when you, if, if for those people who out there who, who actually watch the show, you'll notice folks like Mark Cuban and, and Kevin O'Leary. They're the ones who are always talking about the numbers, right? How, what's your market share? What's your growth rate? What kind of profit are you making on these kinds of things? What do you need to actually grow to this and whatever? And, and with Damon, you get more of kind of like, Touchy-feely is maybe the generic way to say it, but it's more like the story behind it, right? Like, here, what was the inspiration? Like, what do you plan to do with it? Like, that sort of thing. And, and it's kind of curious that, that that's exactly how he comes across in real life as well. And how much their heart's in it. I mean, he's been there. He, he could be standing there and giving the pitch to those guys from his younger self. He can sort of sense who's going to be giving it their all and who's just sort of up there for the publicity. And his close friend and fellow shark, Robert Herjavec, says that Damon is really more 
people-oriented than bottom-line-oriented. I think all the sharks look for different things, especially after 10 years. I think Damon's really good at finding winners. He has a probably one of the strongest quality at spotting people who have the potential to achieve greatness. He's very, very good at that. And he's very good at mentoring people. What do people call that? The it factor, right? The, 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 the idea that you, you, you look at somebody, you meet them, you hear what they have to say, and you just kind of know like that that person is the one or that person can take this all the way. I think he also is interested in, in taking on people he wants to spend time with, not just give the money and, you know, do a little bit of uh, surface mentoring. He definitely wants to spend time with them. Interesting fact, three of the sharks on Shark Tank are dyslexic. Barbara Corcoran, Kevin O'Leary, and Damon. So Damon is also fighting at some point, you know, a certain speed bump that you have to get over as a business person. He didn't find out or figure out that he was dyslexic until about in his 30s when two-way pagers came out. He would respond to his friends and his friends had like no idea what the message was trying to say. He would hear the GPS tell him to take a left, but he would go right. So he finally went in to get tested and was able to figure out why he had these issues. And actually one of his really good friends, Catherine Zeta-Jones, who happens to be a huge Shark Tank fan, has a son who's dyslexic. And so she talked to us for the show about how impressive it is that Damon really embraced his dyslexia, despite the challenges that he probably faced while growing up. And not knowing it. Damon is of a generation when you had dyslexia, which meant that you were just stupid and you didn't listen in class and you were sent to the back of the class. At this point, school systems and people in our nation as a whole know a lot about dyslexia, but back even when he discovered it, it was not something that a lot of people knew and sort or of openly discussed. And and openly now discussed. it's much more comfortable of a conversation. It's I think. much more open for sure now. But that's true of so many different types of situations, whether whether it's any kind of a learning disability or, or any kind of a perhaps a, a, a way of kind of a, a approaching your learning or anything else. Those kinds of things, yeah, they weren't often talked about, right? But people were labeled as stupid or bad learners or, you know, or the kids that weren't going to be able to go on to college and et cetera. But it's amazing how many people in the entertainment industry uh, grew up dyslexic Probably most famously, I think, Cher. So Damon John's a guy who has really beat the odds in many, many categories, actually. In 2016, even, he also beat thyroid cancer. Wow. Uh, he went in for a routine physical, and they discovered it, so he was able to take care of that early on. So he's been really outspoken about people taking care of their health, in addition to encouraging young entrepreneurs to as he puts it, rise and grind. It should be the mantra for just about everybody out there, regardless of what it is that you're doing, right? This idea that you want to put your best foot forward, that you're always out there trying to make things better or create a better life for yourself, it's, it's aspirational. And I think that's probably one of the things that made him such a great Shark Tank investor, somebody who's really kind of started these businesses and done really well. This idea that you can actually go out there and always want to be working, 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 working to see if you can do things better and, and, and make something of your life. I think he has a very positive way of looking at his success and how he overcame a lot. 
I'm African-American, I'm short, I'm dyslexic, I can't play a sport, I got left back, my father wasn't around after 10 or 12 years old, I never went to college, I don't have a formal education, I didn't know anything about this industry, but yet I'm here. And if I can do it, anybody in the world can do it. That's pretty amazing, if you think about it, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is not, I mean, this is in his own words. Mm -hmm. This is not somebody making an observation about him. This is him saying, I am these things. I was not capable, or I was, you know, perceived to be not capable, yet here I am. I mean, it's, it's, I, I gotta say, it's awesome. It, it's, it's, it's a crazy pep talk. And not just here I am, but you can do it too. If you, you know, whoever's aspiring to do whatever it is that they want to achieve, if they put their mind to it, they too can overcome whatever obstacles are in their way to achieve greatness. But every, any one of those things in that laundry list of things he listed off could be used as a viable excuse may be the wrong word, as a viable reason why maybe somebody feels as though they can't succeed in this world. Yet he just reeled off a laundry list of them, and he's still the success that he is today. Yeah, I mean, he's a prime example of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We want to thank Betsy Alexander, the executive producer of this series. Also, Kelly Lynn, who produced this episode of The Brave Ones featuring Damon John. I'm Dominic Chu. You can find full TV episodes of The Brave Ones on CNBC International's YouTube channel. And if you like this episode, please subscribe to The Brave Ones podcast on whatever podcast platform you choose.